I'm back, baby. I'm back in ketosis. I'm back in the fast game. We are day three. Third Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, it's day four. Day four of the fasting mimicking diet. And um, I feel fucking good. I forgot to do intros and ads for my boy, Ben Greenfield, who was our guest today. So um, we get two episodes this week with uh, the return of Ben Greenfield here. And then um, one of the two founders of HVMN is coming on the show, Michael, who is absolutely incredible wealth of knowledge, Stanford graduate, um, one of my favorite companies on earth that's coming up on Thursday or Friday. But um, Ben has been somebody who's, you know, the king of optimization. He's somebody that I followed and learned from for years. Even before I knew him, I was reading articles on bengreenfieldfitness.com. Um, one of the things that I love about Ben that differentiates him from the crowd is that he's an all-in type of guy. He's he's not just somebody that's going to try it, see how it works, and then, you know, say yes or no. He's somebody that goes all the way in. And um, having known him for half a decade, I've been able to see some really big changes in his life and, and some really awesome changes in how he presents himself to the world. And, you know, I've been for the past couple of years, I've been waiting to get him on back on the show because he's been actually writing more books concerning his understanding of God through Christianity and some of the pitfalls he's had in life and some of the temptations and some of the things that have, have drawn him away from his connection to source. And I love this conversation. It was perfectly timed, divinely timed, whatever you want to call that. But um, it was great. I got to learn much more about Ben, much more about not only his relationship with God, but also his relationship to his family and what he prioritizes now. What is the legacy he wishes to leave for them? And all sorts of really cool parenting tools. If you're not a parent, don't worry. <laughs> um, there's there's plenty of good stuff in here for everybody. Uh, this is easily one of my favorite podcasts this year. And um, yeah, perfectly timed. Support this show. Definitely support this show by supporting our sponsors. They make this show possible. We have a brand new sponsor today, Equip Foods. Same parent company, I think, as Perfect Keto, Anthony Gustin's company. They're doing awesome stuff. Yep, Equip was founded in 2016 by Dr. Anthony Gustin because he felt that people should be able to get exactly what they need in supplements and nothing else. No additives, chemicals, fillers, or other junk. We are proud to provide some of the shortest ingredients lists in the supplement industry made from 100% real foods. Our best-selling product is Prime Protein, a grass-fed beef protein powder that tastes like dessert. 4.9 stars with over 700 reviews. Here's a breakdown of each product and common questionnaires. Prime Protein, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, main facts. Prime Protein is a grass-fed beef isolate protein providing complete protein. One scoop of Prime Protein is equivalent to four ounces of grass-fed beef. Prime protein is less likely to cause GI problems like whey or casein. <laughs> uh, prime protein contains collagen and gelatin that repairs your joints and soft tissues that plant protein will not. Prime protein does not have any added chemicals, fillers, binding agents, or artificial coloring or sweeteners. And their protein is made the same way that bone broth is made, low and slow, heating to preserve the nutrition and no chemical processing. Prime protein is paleo and keto approved. It tastes like dessert, not beef. 30 servings per bag. I uh, absolutely love this stuff. You can use it in baked goods uh, as a meal replacement, post-workout nutrition. 
I, I ditched protein shakes years ago because of the GI issues. Even whey and things like that would cause me to fart, and that's no fun, especially if you are in a relationship with anybody. Uh, my kids laugh at it, but definitely not good. If I'm going to fart, it's going to be from Taco Tuesday and with me throwing some refried beans in the mix. That's worth it. I don't want shakes to cause that. And this is one of the first protein powders that I've used where I don't get a lot of gas and I don't get messed up. I don't feel bloated. Um, it has allowed me to supplement with a whole food alternative rather than um, you know, just pulling pieces from milk and deciding what that is going to do or plant-based protein. I absolutely love this stuff. It is 100% grass-fed bovine collagen. Um, and what you're going to get is 15 grams of collagen in that protein. That's in the complete collagen. So their collagen is phenomenal. Their beef protein, prime protein is awesome. Um, and there's another one, Pure Wad. Pure Wad is a pre-workout that contains four grams of creatine, two and a half grams of beta alanine, which is going to potentiate muscular endurance, one and a half grams of L-citrulline malate, two grams of L-leucine, a gram of L-isoleucine, and one gram of L-valine, a gram of coconut water powder, 500 mg of L-arginine, AKG, two to one, which is going to give you the pump, and 500 mg of L-carnitine, which is going to help mobilize fat for fuel, giving you more cognitive energy and endurance. It is insane, this pre-workout. Is exa- I wanted to design this at on it, but we had already made a creatine and we had already made a beta alanine. So I didn't get to make the pre-workout exactly as I wanted to. Um, this is it right here. The PureWad pre-workout is absolutely phenomenal. I use it every time I lift. And of course, their beef protein afterwards and the collagen, the complete collagen is phenomenal. We make uh, a lot of our keto puddings, the chocolate mousse, things like that, that always utilize this stuff. Their company's phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Anthony Gustin does nothing but the best. That's why I had him on my podcast a while ago. I'll probably have to run him back on here, but equipfoods.com slash KKP. That's E-Q-U-I-P-F-O-O-D-S.com slash KKP and use code KKP for 20% off everything. The pre-workout is phenomenal. And the prime protein and collagen are phenomenal. And there's ways that you can incorporate that into your diet so you're not just whipping up shakes, but in a pinch, whip up the shake. You know, it's, it's awesome. We throw almond butter in there and bananas and frozen berries. And the kids love it. My wife loves it. Everyone loves it. And I know they're getting healthy whole foods back into their diet. Next, we have Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley is one of my favorite companies. I think last week I talked about Shauna Moda coming out. She's uh, been a longtime homie in the supplement game and uh, works with Paleo Valley. I took her out to the farm and brought her out and showed her everything we're doing here. She has always connected me with the best people and Paleo Valley are the best people in the game when it comes to healthy organic snacks that will leave you feeling more better and more complete after you eat them without, without any come down, for lack of a better term, from the food that you put in your body. Uh, I absolutely love their beef sticks. I love their organic bars. And I take them with me everywhere. Uh, they're pretty much my meals when I'm on the farm and I've got a 10-hour day and I can't take a lunch break. I'm slamming three or four beef sticks and, a, and, a, and an organic bar. They're just incredible. Grass-fed beef, 100% grass-fed beef, has higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins and minerals, fat-soluble vitamins as well. And you want that with fat and complete protein. Glutathione, that is your master antioxidant produced by the liver. I'm supplementing with that right now. And it is incredible that it actually has this in the beef stick. CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, is actually the fat that burns fat. Bodybuilders have known about this fat for a very long time. That's in 100% grass-fed beef products like the beef sticks. Bioavailable protein. These are also keto-friendly. 
and a great protein-rich snack to grab on the go. One of the things people miss when they're snacking or grabbing something from the pantry is protein. You're typically not going to open a can of sardines on an airplane, even though I've been that guy before. Uh, but these will piss no one off. <laughs> they were, they're sure to make you happy, your kids happy, your family happy. They're great in a pinch. Uh, I have some on me right now. Pretty much any, any bag that I have, if it's a fanny pack, um, my backpack where I can t- you know, contain all my podcast gear, it's always on me. And for road trips and things like that, we bring boxes of this stuff because it just makes eating really healthy, a very convenient thing um, while traveling and in a pinch. This brand refuses to cut corners. They prioritize health over profit. They use conscientious processing and manufacturing and source only the highest quality ingredients available. They have strict focus on bringing nutrient density back to the dinner table. Have a passion for not only health, but environmental restoration and animal welfare and our accessible family-owned company. Uh, We're going to get their founder on the podcast coming up here soon. So I really look forward to that. Um, And we'll really dive deeply into environmental issues and restoration, regenerative agriculture, all that good stuff. You can learn more at paleovalley.com and use Kyle at checkout for 15% off everything in the store. P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Kyle at checkout for 15% off. And remember, check out their whole product list. They have amazing supplements for gut health and all sorts of stuff all over at paleovalley.com. All right, y'all. One of my absolute favorite new products I've actually first learned about from Ben Greenfield. He called them his Jesus sandals. They're they're called Earth Runners. And they're absolutely incredible. Of all the things that have come out, I mean, I love Vibrams too, but of all the things that have come out from from ancestral thinking and, and how do we how do we navigate the modern world with uh, some of the genius that was left behind in the former ancestral world? So really in the congruence with ancestral wisdom, it's apparent that we need to incorporate more simple nature-based lifestyle practices and outsource less of our life to modern technology. An aspect of modern life that we don't often think about is how our shoes affect the ways in which we interact with the earth. Our ancestors were virtually always grounded. It's only since the advent of modern insulating souls that we have lost this connection to the earth. Our ancestors lived in constant connection with the earth by going barefoot or wearing leather-soled moccasins and sandals, which kept them grounded. Connecting your feet to the earth, a practice called earthing or grounding, allows the body to take in electrons, which helps to restore our natural electric state to enjoy the myriad of benefits felt while taking in the elements like our ancestors did. This isn't woo-woo stuff, guys. This is proven, and, and it's very important. However, these days, we lack this healing earth connection by wearing shoes with rubber soles that insulate us from the earth. Earth runner sandals feature a copper earthing plug and conductive laces to keep you grounded to the earth. Earth Runners is an ancestral-inspired sandal company, which has created minimalist earthing sandals to support a more barefoot experience, both physically and electrically. Earth Runners have taken the millennia-old footwear design known as the Horachi, which is a simple sole with a wrapping lace, one of the oldest designs in history, and upgraded it with Vibram soles and earthing technology to give you the most minimalist, natural, and grounded shoe experience you've ever had. Restore your natural connection with the earth via earthing to enjoy the myriad of benefits felt while taking in the elements same as our ancestors used to live. Earth runners, minimalist sole for healthy full range of foot movement, which improves everything upstream. Earthrunners aspires to restore our relationship with nature and to rediscover our ancestral roots via minimalist earthing sandals, rewild and reconnect with Earthrunners. You can get them at earthrunners.com and use the code KKP 
for 10% off. That's earthrunners.com, code KKP for 10% off, E-A-R-T-H-R-U-N-N-E-R-S.com. And don't forget KKP at checkout. Last but not least, one of my favorites, and I think I am long overdue to have Drew Canoli back on. A lot's changed since we had each uh, last spoke on the podcast, and I'm, I'm ultra curious. You know, Drew Canoli being the founder of Organifi, brilliant dude. Check out that podcast if you haven't heard it. Um, I love everything these guys offer. The Organifi Greens has been something I've been talking about for a very long time. My whole family takes that. Um, you know, Wolf, since six months old, would be sipping on the Organifi green juice. The red has been something that I've incorporated into my training programs, and it's a phenomenal pre-workout. But one new product I wanted to talk about today that I just picked up, uh, and perhaps it's not that new, but it is something that it's new to me, is the Organifi Glow. And Organifi Glow is perhaps one of the best. They're all taste, they all taste phenomenal, let's be honest. But one of the best tasting drinks that I've ever had that really does a lot for the body. It's a refreshing raspberry lemonade designed to support your skin's natural collagen binding processes. It's a delicious way to moisturize, maintain elasticity, and strengthen skin. Now, a lot of dudes are sitting here going, why is Kyle talking about skin health? Well, skin, as it turns out, is the largest organ in our bodies. And you know, being born in California where there's decent sun, but then moving to South Texas it's a different zone altogether. And with the amount of time that I'm outdoors, my skin takes a beating. And this is super important for people who want to go out on the weekends. And I'm not a big fan of uh, sunblock. I mean, if we have to have it, sure, there's some organic sunblocks, but I'd much rather let the sun do its thing and then do what I can on my end to repair through a healthy diet and this wonderful product, Organifi Glow. Collagen synthesis is to maintain elasticity supported with antioxidants like vitamin C from acerola cherry. It brightens the skin, strengthening the skin with adaptogens that revitalize complexion from inside and out, and it's moisturizing. Considered in the traditional Chinese medicine as one of the top beauty supplements, tremella mushroom provides five times more moisture uh, than the expensive hyaluronic acid. Acerola cherry, which is really one of the best forms of vitamin C on the planet. It's a, it's a very highly antioxidant. Amla berry, same thing. It's known for uh, supporting skin, hair, and DNA repair. Uh, DNA repair is a hot topic on this podcast. So if you're just joining us, Amla berry found in this glow product is phenomenal. Bamboo silica. This is something my wife and I have experimented with for years. It's an essential mineral necessary for collagen synthesis. Aloe vera. Rose hips, pomegranate, baobab fruit, coconut water, lemon, raspberries, and sea salt. All of these things, keep in mind, that support the skin, the hair, and the nails, support your GI tract. They support your gut lining. And most people with gut issues have leaky gut syndrome. Most people with gut issues need to heal the gut from the inside out. Bone broth is phenomenal for that, but it won't do it alone. You need vitamin C from organic places and this is one of the best ways to get it all in one delicious drink. Check it out, Organifi Glow. It's plant-based for the vegans out there and for everybody else, it's going to work phenomenally just the same. Natural collagen support. It tastes phenomenal. And uh, again, one of the many great products that Organifi has. Go to Organifi.com slash KKP and use code KKP at checkout. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. And don't forget KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in their store. One of my favorite brands of all time. I love you guys at Organifi. And that's it. That does it. Don't worry if you didn't write any of that down. It's all in the show notes for you. And there's going to be some more in the show notes because we got my dude, Ben Greenfield. We talked about his company, Keon, 
who makes my favorite essential aminos. It's something that I stack with the Organifi Red Juice pre-workout, and it is an excellent way to support muscle growth. But you can check everything out in there. We, we of course, link to Ben's website. We link to Keon, all of that in the show notes. So you guys don't have to worry about it. Just scroll through and click on it when you want to um, check out more. And without further ado, my brother, Ben Greenfield. We went to the Grand Canyon yeah. last year, first time. I lived, I mean, I went to ASU and lived in Arizona for seven years, never went once. It's gorgeous. The Grand Canyon. Uh, so I was going to take him to Kauai because I like Kauai. And we were going to do a little family vacation down there. And there's a little uh, a, a farm called Kauai Pharmacy. I've had that, that guy who runs it, Doug, on yeah, my yeah, podcast yeah. before. Oh my gosh, he grows like Tulsi and, and Nori and Splalanthes and Comfrey and all these superfoods. I'm like, Four acres. It's crazy what he's done. And I still want to take my sons there because he told me they could work as farmhands, you know, for a few months just to learn, like, how to grow superfoods and turn them into tinctures and oils and salves and powders. Lay the land, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, do do some surfing and stuff. But they were, like, not super duper. You know, you can tell when your kids are, like, kind of sort of into something but not totally on board. It's like that. And then uh, we, were, I took them out to Waffles because I take them out to Waffles a couple of times a month. It's a little place in Spokane called People's Waffles that do these really good, like, gluten-free farm-to-table, you know, Thai waffles and peanut butter and bananas and everything. So um, I'm like, what do you guys think about going to the Grand Canyon? And their eyes just lit up. And they're like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, even during that time, we we're going to go to Kauai? And they're like, yeah. So during the Grand Canyon, and dude, we burned up trails. We did this. We just got back like a week ago. We were doing like eight to 10 miles a day. Oh, that's so good. You know, it's, it's steep, rugged hiking. Like we didn't go rafting because it took like a year and a half to get off the rafting wait list but oh wow talk about the creator revealing himself to you through nature it is pretty nuts and you know and and i'm like a total like new earther right and so so for me when i'm in the grand canyon and i i just see little things like you know all the little fossil records of the 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 little arthropods or whatever they call them that are that are supposed to be scattered across millions of years all the footprints are pointing in the same direction, traveling at a rapid pace, all of them as though some cataclysmic event just causes massive migration of them all at once. Or there's like fossil records of like dinosaurs and they're in the, uh, the sedimentation that is supposed to be separated, you know, one by a million years, another by 3 million years or whatever. But the dinosaurs like giving birth with the baby coming out of it in a different layer of soil, indicating that either A, it took the dinosaur like 4 million years to have a baby, or <laughs> B, some cataclysmic event occurred <laughs> while that dinosaur was in mid-birth that caused it to become fossilized in, in those remains. So it's kind of a kind of a cool opportunity for me to to show my son some of some of my own beliefs about creationism and and why I actually think that that it was created by intelligent design over the course of like six days and then a massive cataclysmic flood caused something like the Grand Canyon. Um, but anyway, I don't even remember how we got on the topic of the Grand Canyon. Uh, I don't, I don't anyways, know. We were though, talking cameras was, for a second. Oh, yeah. Though. So my son brought this. his camera. My son brought his camera. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's Canyon. a great place to yeah. do it. I got this shitty, uh, not shitty, a nice handheld camera that's probably, you know, mid-tier just so I could start throwing videos back up. For a while there, I was having quite a few taken off YouTube and I was like, it's it's actually pointless yeah. to fight an uphill battle, but I'm going to start um, an Odyssey account, which is one of the first video providers that's built on blockchain. 
so it can never oh, be really? taken down. And uh, it's it's pretty much like the video version of what Zion is to social media and, um, you know, having a direct contact with people that you own, you know, nobody else owns. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped about both of those. So and like, is, right. it, is it similar to Zion in that if you wanted to, let's say, monetize the videos, you could do so via like a, like a crypto donation type of I'm protocol. not sure if they have that embedded yet, but they're, uh. they, they just do video and it, it looks awesome. It's clean. You know, it's like, yeah. um, it's like you're, you're coming to an app. Obviously Zion has a lot of kinks to still work out. And I know because I'm trying to get on soon. Zion uh, and, and it, it's kind of a waiting game, but I'm, I'm kind of like signed up and ready to be on that platform. Cool. Well, I'll push, I'll push, push in. Uh, no question. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that sorted. Yeah. This week. I think it's all like, all like set up. Oh yeah. Version two is coming out soon. But yeah, yeah, we went to, we went to Grand It doesn't Canyon. matter now though, because Twitter's all decentralized and owned by Elon. So that it's free game on Twitter now. That sounds great. Uh-huh. And actually that was one one of the places where I could recover in like February of 2019, 2020, February, 2020, right before shit at the fan, I, I quit all my social media accounts. It's like, fuck this. All I can't stand it. All of them and deleted them permanently. Yeah. And, um, Twitter was one that actually recovered, which is nice. It's not a huge following, but 35,000 people is nice to recover. Did you delete them because of just the angst of trolling and online bullying and and you know people making fun of what you say or or you know just, just kind of like the angst that occurs when you open up your computer or your phone and there's just vitriol or was it because of the censorship piece well it was it was pre-censorship you know like this is pre-lockdowns pre-people <laughs> you yeah. know starting to speak their mind about their thoughts on the equation and the weighing of you know science getting taken off like you know the think yeah. tank at stanford getting deleted off youtube things like that um, so it was before that, a big portion of it was the angst around that. Um, you know, people say shit they would never say to my face or your face, face to face, you know? So that oh, was, that was one, one, <laughs> I know. one aspect. Uh, and I know you've taken fucking mountains of heap online as and well. And Twitter's one of the worst. I mm-hmm. don't know why. What happens, th- this is what, what I've observed. You'll have an icon who a lot of people look up to. So, so this icon has all their groupies. Right. And then you say something that directly contradicts or somehow rubs that icon's philosophy the wrong way. Then all those people jump in who, you know, a lot of times that, you know, the, the icon, the guru, whatever, they're not the person spewing the vitriol, but all their hench people, they, they, they come to their, their, you know, their, their venerated Twitter icons defense and start just like, you know, tweeting right and left, you know, everything from like, you know, I want to, kill your children, which I got when I posted about vaccinations to, uh, to, to people begging Elon Musk recently, this happened last week to, to ban me from Twitter. Like, why is this guy still on Twitter? Cause I tweeted something about calories in calories out and the faulty part of that equation. And someone literally wanted to get me kicked off of Twitter for that. Cause we all know that's highly offensive to, <laughs> to, uh, to have a debate about a relatively meaningless in the scheme of the whole universe. Uh, hey, with with all the problems in the world today, right. you know, like right. it, it, yeah. if it fits your macros, your, if you attack that, it's, it's fucking on. Mm. Yeah, that really does show kind of, I mean, there's, Sebastian Junger talked about it on Rogan's, you know, that, that uh, yeah. when World War II hit and all the people in London, like literally had buildings fucking being blown up, had to band together. They had to feed each other. They helped each other survive. How meaningful existence became under those circumstances because they were brought back into tribe. Yes. They were brought back into meaning. Yeah. Without that, you know, and hopefully it doesn't take bombs overhead, but without that, 
people are consistently searching for something to provide meaning if they don't have, you know, a spiritual understanding. And um, thanks to scientism, you know, that's a big part of that. And yeah. guys like Richard Dawkins. And, and um, I think people are really just grasping at straws, trying to figure themselves out. And that's where you get, you know, somebody who's just willing to bash you for fucking yeah. hours on end. Yeah, I mean, meaning can be, and I was having a discussion about this yesterday. I did a, I did a, a walking podcast with a, with a guy who's local to here, uh, uh, Ronnie Landis. And we were talking about addiction. And he was talking about the addiction that many people have to, to struggle and to drama in their lives. And then we got into addiction to social media, to pornography, to relationships, to nicotine, the caffeine, you know, the list goes on and on. And in every situation, it really is attempting to fill a, a, you know, a God-shaped hole in your soul with every last nook and cranny of the universe that you can hunt down to throw into it until you either A, die, or B, discover the fulfillment that can be achieved when you fill a God-shaped hole with God. You know, I, 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 I'm reading a book right now by Dallas Willard called Renovated. It's about kind of like renovating the soul. And, and I think it's in that book. There, there's a line that even like when, when guys go to porn, they're seeking God, right? They're, they're just basically, that's just another example of, of, of the angst within the soul. They're like, oh, this ought to fill it. This ought to fill it. But nothing actually actually fills it until you get to that point where you find the spiritual fulfillment. It's interesting that you bring up the the porn thing because uh, in the search for God in King Where a Magician Lover, I'm sure you've read that book. They mm -hmm. talked about one of the shadow aspects of the lover is the Don Juan archetype, who's the constantly Don Juan archetype. Yeah, searching for God in the or the divine goddess through every woman he can get, and and but each woman doesn't fulfill because each woman is not the totality. Right. Right. And so, so the search continues. No one is ever enough. The cup is never full. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting, um, it, 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 it's an interesting conundrum because yes, you can use things like sex and juicy ribeye steak and a, and a glass of Bordeaux and, and anything else that's beautiful in creation as a replacement for God, right. It's something you become attached to, but then on the flip side, you can use it to find God and experience God, right? So, so you know, sex could be a crutch for you that you are basically addicted to as a way to fill that hole in your soul that's seeking God as a craving, or sex can be a way to experience the beauty and wonder and bliss of creation. And just like my trip to the Grand Canyon, be like, oh, this is, this is God speaking to me in this moment of pure bliss. So it can kind of work both ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, many pads yeah. leave up the mountain. Yeah, I, 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 I can't get too far in this conversation though without asking you about your farm. Yeah, because I get, <laughs> I've heard rumors, but you and I haven't talked about this at all. We were going to yeah. talk about it before we turned the mics on, and I'm like, oh, turn, turn the microphones off. Film me. Yeah, on. we had, um, you know, pretty much, you know, Aubrey and I have been in fit for service from the jump. He invited me on with with uh, Godzi and and Caitlin to be full time coaches, and we're in our fourth year now, so we've really seen a lot of changes. But when 2020 came about even before even when I was still subscribing to this thing being the bubonic plague you know the black death and and really you know being on my toes and and um buying a lot of what I was seeing yes, I from TV and I, mainstream right I had I, a spray bottle by my mailbox <laughs> that I would spray all the mail down with before I walked up the driveway yeah even when even when I was a part of that narrative um 
Fit for service lives and dies on face-to-face interaction. It lives and dies on our events that we throw. And, you know, there's a lot we can accomplish through Zoom and through coaching people online, and you know all this as well. Um, But something is lost when we're not able to gather in that size of a group, right? 150 to 200 people. Quite quite literally. Like there is a, a significant loss of oxytocin particularly. Like, I think that's, I think, like, if, if you could stack up everything, electromagnetic heart signals and brainwave signals and pupillary interactions, I think it's oxytocin. That's, like, the one thing that, that's, that it's, like, this missing hormonal component from a neuroendocrine standpoint that's, that's absent in digital interactions, largely. Yeah, and you just, you know, there, there's so much of that, but also the, the thinking about, you know, Jünger's work and, and rites of passage and things like that. We don't offer plant medicines or anything at these events, but we do offer transformational experiences like holotropic breathwork from some of the best guides, um, ecstatic dance, different things that, that feel uncomfortable. But as you go through that together, you have your brothers and sisters in arms and that's incredibly bonding. That's what's formed our community. And so it was like, we had, you know, Aubrey had that ranch in Sedona still has it. It's about 50 acres. Okay. And, um, yeah, I've been out there. The spirit, yeah. spirit ranch. Spirit ranch. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, we, we had to keep postponing our summer event until finally we went to Nevada and Tahoe, which was awesome for many people. It was the first time they hugged anyone the entire year in August of 2020. October rolled around for our final event in Sedona. And, you know, Arizona was pretty cool about things there throughout the the shenanigans. And they still allowed people to attend, you know, maskless and whatnot, but they still had a cap at 20 people at these businesses. So we retrofitted the backyard and built, you know, two giant teepees that connected kind of like a Burning Man set. And Parangi played live music for the first time the entire year in October oh, for wow. 150 people, you wow. know, to do ecstatic dance and to come. And, and, you know, the great speakers we brought in for that event were exceptional, but really it can was- I, Can I interrupt you real quick? Mm-hmm. Explain ecstatic dance to me. Ecstatic dance, I mean, <clears throat> to me it is- the benefit of ecstatic dance is pushing through discomfort and everyone has it, right? I mean, uh, Paul Check, who's a buddy of ours, always says like, you know, with the old, one of the old sayings, um, someone would ask a person who is ill is, when did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? Yeah, yeah. Right? I know that. And, you, and I, I think I did, well, there's a third one. Is it dreaming? Mm-hmm. I think dreaming, dan- when did you stop doing those three activities? Dreaming, dancing, and singing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kids, you've got kids. When you watch kids dance, there's no stickiness. There's no weirdness. There's no self-consciousness. There's yeah. no, oh, what is somebody else doing? Yeah. They just move their body. Until puberty. Yeah. The way the music <laughs> moves them, right? And um, and that can be lost. And it can be lost through puberty. It can be lost through culture. It can be lost through a number of things. But, you know, the the act of doing that, especially, you know, in a sea of people that you're just getting to know, that is a, that is not maybe a rite of passage, but it is something that pushes our boundaries and what we think is possible. And when we crack that code, it doesn't mean we look like, you know, a breakdancer or something like that, or Michael Jackson. It just means that we find our flow and reconnect ourselves to our bodies. And in that experience, it's priceless because that in and of itself changes the way we carry ourselves going forward. It changes the way we interact with the opposite sex It changes, or the same sex for that matter. It changes the way we operate, not just in the bedroom, but in the boardroom. Every, how we carry ourselves changes when we've moved ourselves through these, these sticking points. Yeah. You, know, you could call them energetic blockages. You could call it all the you know, mental, emotional constructs. 
Um, there's a million ways to explain that thing, but it's in just like psychedelics. Yes, you know, you can talk about it. It's not the same thing yeah. as going through it. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit. I, I, I want to get back to the story fit for service and, and the evolution of this form. But the the ecstatic dance and the effects that you're describing remind me of a few things. First of all, if you if you read that book, Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, this mm-hmm. idea of shaking or trembling uh, as, as a way to... Uh, to to relieve stress, to kind of like uh, deload the sympathetic nervous system, you know, and that's actually I don't know if 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 you've done much of the tai chi shaking, mm-hmm. you know, Kundalini, where you're just yep. uh, uh, hopefully I won't be out of the camera doing this, but where you're just like this, you know, but I'll mm-hmm. take a deep breath in and do that for like six or seven minutes in the morning, or. If I've been stressed, you know, if, if I've gone through something where I feel like my sympathetic nervous system is charged up and it kind of gives a similar feeling to what you'd get if you were just like, you know, dancing around like nobody was watching. So I think there's, there's a definite like stress relieving component very similar to the shaking or the trembling one might do to shake off trauma. Yeah. And then the other thing that's interesting is that even though I've, I've never really thought of it as ecstatic dance, now that you're describing it, it probably does fall into the same category, is we meditate as a family every morning and, and every evening. But the morning session is typically about 7.30, 7.45 or so. I gather the whole family together. It's our coming together officially to begin the day. And we, we sit on the ground and we do our, our gratitude practice. We do a practice of service. Uh, we do breath work. We do tapping. Uh, and we do the Lord's Prayer, and then we gather for a big hug afterwards, and then like a team huddle. You know what's going on today? You know, who, who's making this for dinner? You know what class ends at this time? When are we going to come together in the evening? You know any special announcements? It's, it's, it's like the little family gathering, which I actually find to be a critical part for for me as a, as a father, as as you know as a so-called head of the household, to be able to actually keep everything organized each day. And then it repeats in the evening. Same thing in the evening, it's meditation. But when the meditation and the prayer ends, it's okay, what's going on in the morning? What do we need to be ready for? So it's a very good way to kind of like keep organization and keep the family from just being like ships passing in the night. But one or two times a week, I'll just choose an amazing song. And 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 for me, it's usually some of these like newer contemporary praise and worship type of stations like uh, uh, a hill song or elevation worship or, you know, there are great songs like Waymaker and So Will I and then the blessing and the doxology. They're typically about five to seven minutes and I'll, I'll bring everybody down. My sons will come down from the bedroom with their journals and I'll be like, you guys don't need your journals today. And their, their faces just break out and smile because they know what's about to happen. And I put the little Bluetooth speaker on and I, and I put on a song and we just dance like crazy for the first five to seven minutes of the day, you know, turning loops around the kitchen table and I'm picking up mom and throwing over my shoulder, you know, <laughs> twirling around. And so we do that a couple of times a week. So it, it, it reminds me a lot when you describe it of our little family, you know, ecstatic, if you want to call that dance sessions in the yeah. morning. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And and same thing with the the Tai Chi or Kundalini shaking, you know, like there's yeah at least the first song, song and a half of any ecstatic dance that we do. I'm literally just doing that. I'm bouncing up and down. I'm shaking out the kinks. Right. I'm stretching. I'm Kinda mobilizing. Like right before the drop happens when you're yeah. at, when you're yeah. Usually song yeah. three is gonna hit. So so that's my warm up. But you know, I was in Aubrey's ear the whole time through lockdowns because Texas was you know we still went through it here initially and then over time Texas became a freer and freer state. Florida as well, you know, so we were looking at places in Texas and Florida to potentially purchase and, um, 
you know, 2021 stuff continued, you know, in different States, but didn't hear. And, you know, no one died. We didn't have, I mean, I shouldn't say no one died, but it's not like, you know, Texas yeah. fell off the map from all the people dying. Yeah. And, um, you know, we kept looking and Aubrey for a long time had, you know, his own vision of, of what, you know, um, a truly, a true medicine space would look like, you know? And, um, for me, I wanted food sovereignty. I wanted to be able to grow our own food. I didn't want to worry if grocery stores were going to close or if I needed a Vax pass to get into, you know, whole foods. Um, and certainly with supply chain issues and the rising cost of food, it's like, we got to be in the game. We got to become, I heard a guy, um, ice age farmer on one of his YouTube videos say that for the people to do well, we're going to need to become producers. And that may look different for some people. It doesn't mean becoming a giant corporation. It just means producing more than you consume. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's very, it's, it's honestly from a, from a technical standpoint, it's very similar to, you know, a guy like Cal Newport will write about yeah. be, be a creator, not a consumer, or at least skew the balance of your life more towards creation than consuming. And that's a pretty good way to live. Cause it means at the end of the day, you've contributed. That Cal Newport was the second reason I got off social okay. media. I read digital minimalism yeah. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm out. <laughs> uh, and it is a great way to, to connect with people, but anywho, there was food sovereignty. There was, you know, having a true healing center. And then, you know, I wanted it in our backyard. So we, we searched for a while and we ended up finding a spot about 30 minutes south of the airport, really easy to get to. It's um, 85 mile an hour freeway heading there because Tesla's coming to town, not far from it. And um, it's been, it's been incredible. You know, it's 118 yeah. acres. You know, we had seen biggest little farm and a lot of these things. Uh -huh. I'm buddies with force of nature and the guys at Rome ranch. So I've, I've okay. been plugged in and, you know, Paul, the OG was, wearing, you know, I love dirt shirts and I love the soil shirts, you know, way back in the day. So I had always been mindful of that, but you mean Paul, Paul, check. Paul check. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the adage as above, so below, when you really understand that it's, you know, what I put in to the soil, what I put into the earth enhances its ability to put back into me. Yes. You know, and that, that is a two way street. And that's yeah. something that I've really, really come to terms with through plant medicine journeys and different alchemy. But, um, you know, we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. We didn't make the whole thing biggest little farm. I think that's 200 acres. Uh, really, we we've left a lot of open space. We're trimming trees and opening up the land so the grasses can come back. We're going to bring in exotic animals to hunt and also to heal the land. And, um, you know, with that, we've got game fences. Yeah. Eisenstein didn't like, you know, the fact that we put in big fences, but it's a part of the deal to keep uh, exotic game. And then what, we have what, about what a nine exotic acre. exotic game are we talking about here? The re reason I ask is I had a conversation. I, I, I think this was actually on a podcast that I had this conversation with Jordan Rubin, who, uh, who, who's, you know, kind of an old school guy from the nutrition supplements industry on garden of life nutrition. He's very well known for healing himself of, I think it was Crohn's or colitis using nutritional protocols, uh, has kind of a Christian flavor to his work. He's got like the maker's diet, you know, out of the Bible, you know, very similar to, I think the diet that, that, that the prophet Daniel ate in the old Testament. He's, he's all, he's full of interesting ideas, but he's done something very similar to what you're describing in Missouri. And he said that he did a lot of research about this. And it turns out that for sustainable milk and meat, water buffalo and yak instead of cows and then ducks instead of chickens are his go-tos. That's interesting. And, so, and, and yeah. it's something I'm thinking about because I, I didn't talk to you about this or tell you this yet, but I'm moving down to 12 acres in Idaho. I'm relocating. I'm oh, moving, phenomenal. North Idaho. Okay. Moving a little deeper into the backwoods. And I've got, whereas right now I live in a forest. That's on a plane. 
And so I will likely, you know, put, uh, you know, water buffalo or yak. Yeah, water maybe, buffalo does great just here. A helicopter pad. We'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but yeah, so 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 for you, what exotic game are you? We're gonna do the the biggest herd will be um, black buck from India. They taste. Mm. They have a flavor profile like it's Axis beautiful, deer. Beautiful. Animal. They are yeah. a bit better um, at intelligent grazing, so they're not going to eat all the way down to the root mesquite would just grow up in its place like you've experienced hunting in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's no fun. And we want to regenerate grasses and and obviously store more into the ground. So I think they're going to be phenomenal. Uh, They'll be the the largest herd in numbers, but they're one of the smallest that we're going to carry so that we can have more of them and still be in right relation with the biomass per acreage. Yeah. And then red stag, which is one of the most beautiful animals I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I went on a sacred hunt with Monsal in a town called Hunt, Texas. Oh yeah, uh, a year or two ago, uh, two years ago, and um, we were two hours west, and they had they had elk, bison, red stag, black buck, ibex, like you name every every kind yeah, of animal is there. I've hunted in a similar location in Texas and yeah. seen all those. It's, it's kind of confusing sometimes <laughs> when you hunt yeah. in Texas because if you're with a guide, you're constantly asking, "Can I shoot that? Did do I have a tag for that? <laughs> is that legal? I don't even. How do red stags taste?" I think they're phenomenal. They look, I mean, man, it looked like Harry Potter's Patronus. Oh, yeah. You know, and we could see anything we weren't hunting, of course, was like at 20 yards. Mm -hmm. But I kept running into this um, this giant red stag. It was incredible. And, um, you know, huge rack and just one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And that's like a Grand Canyon experience. I'm looking at that, you know, intelligent design of this beautiful animal and just breathtaking. You know, just I'm staring at it in awe. Um, So we'll have... We'll start with six and let that herd grow. And maybe we'll do some trading for different genetics with some local people. We've got uh, quite a few exotic farms in the area. Uh-huh. And um, the final one is going to be Gimsbach. And they can get pretty big. They're from West Africa. Gimsbach. Yeah. It's, it's I don't a, think I've seen a Gimsbach. They have, the, the males have horns that look like, like a unicorn horn. There's two of them. They're like spears, straight up oh, spirals. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Matter of fact, <laughs> I have a, I, I, I didn't realize, I think there's another name for a Gimsbuck. They're from say. Ibex, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 Ibex, because we have a mount in our by our fireplace in the living room that one of my wife's friends gave to her. That's that's like a, a Ibex mount. Yeah, you know, kind of like, uh, gosh, what do you call it when the, it's just the skull? It's Euro, a, yeah, Euro mount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible. Ah, geez. So, and so they, you'll, and they so can you'll get raise to, these. They can get up to five hundred pounds, and you'll be able to hunt them as well. Mm-hmm. And we wow. won't we won't really touch them for the first few years. We're just gonna actually end of this month. We're gonna have them delivered. Um, we're gonna let them get accustomed to the land. It is a small plot, you know. For for hunters out there that are, that are like, that's not fair game. That's just harvesting, right? It is 118 yeah. acres. Um, and yes, it is for harvesting. Like it is for our own food. It's not you know a challenging hunt. It's not like going uh, with bows to Lanai or Molokai. That's a different that's a different game. Yeah. Um, this was literally to help restore the ecosystem of the land and heal the soil and for us to eat, yeah. you know, and have really high quality nutrition in our diets. So are you going to live out there? Yeah, we're building the house. It's uh, oh, wow. under construction right now. So that's, that's how I, I've talked my way into that. You know, I was in Aubrey's ear for a couple of years about the importance of having this, not just for fit for service, but, you know, looking at uh, where the world's at right now and the, the, yeah. the demolition of modern society, it became you know, I mean, you're a father. You think think about these things a little bit more than most people do mm-hmm. because you got little ones. And we've got, you know, Wolfie came 4th of July in 2020, you know, smack dab in the middle 
of the most craziest time in recorded history. And, yeah. uh, or at least in modern history. Right. And um, she's going to have amazing eye facial recognition built in technology from spending <laughs> the first several months of her life seeing fewer faces than the average human. Uh huh. Well, thankfully we were here. So, like, we, yeah. didn't, we didn't pay attention to any of that. She got to see everybody and be held and loved on. And we weren't, you know, yeah. there was Good. no concern with her. Good. So it was like, yeah, everybody come over, get to hold the little girl and play yeah. with her. Um, so, but yeah, having all that in mind, you know, was really the impetus for this. And I, and I told Aubrey, you know, I, I really want to be caretaker of the land and I want to live there full time and I want to raise my kids on the land. I want to send them out of the house with a big dog and, and not yeah. worry about where they are. They can have a walkie talkie if they need help or get stuck somewhere. Yep. Um, and the land is just incredible. You know, we've got three massive ponds. We'll be putting in another one. Uh, there's big mouth bass in one and bluegill in another. We might be adding catfish. Um, We've really been working on this nine-acre plot that we have fenced in and protected and uh, working with Chad Johnson, who I had on the podcast. He's a brilliant permaculturist who was an understudy to Sepp Holzer and traveled the world with this guy, you know, really picking his brain to learn it from him. And he accelerated. He was one of the best uh, in in Sepp's classes. So Sepp, really? Sepp took him under his wing. And Chad Johnson? Chad Johnson. Does he live down here? In he's Texas? in, he's off the I-35 like we are, oh, but okay. he's one exit away from Canada. So gotcha. he's Northern, Northern Minnesota. Okay. And that's what drew me in, you know, because a lot of people learn permaculture in Costa Rica and it's not apples to apples. No. You know, the fact that he's dealing with serious cold that's worse than ours. I know he can, you know, the things he's putting yeah. in are going to stand You want somebody local. I've got, I've got a guy up North in Idaho who I'm working with local for the development of the food for us that we're putting in around this new home that, that we're building in, uh, it's actually in Biola, Idaho, which is not a city. It's a, they call it a community. I don't know <laughs> when a community becomes a city, but I think it's like, you know, gosh, around 150, 200 people, you know, oh, wow. little, little town hall, no gas station, no grocery store, like nothing, just some homes and farms. But the the home that we're building, despite you really feeling like you're off grid, this is kind of like my home in Spokane. If you can, you can be out on the highway in two minutes and into Moscow, Idaho within like 10 minutes, which is a big university town. Oh, cool. So, so it's kind of just like a perfect little setting. Yeah. So you're in the cuts, but you're also close. All the trees right now Mm -hmm. for tree cover. And then the whole home will do it kind of like I did the home in Spokane, like, you know, metal shielded cat seven ethernet cables fed through the whole home. We'll use, we use moon wood, which is naturally like an EMF kind of like almost like a Faraday ish blocking technology, mold resistant, low VOC wood. We'll work in all the natural lighting, you know, the HEPA air filtration, the negative ions. I'm getting the guys from Egypt to come out and do a full biogeometry analysis of the Phenomenal. land. Uh, probably working with a guy named, uh, Brian Johnson. Uh, I was talking with the other day as, as one of the main builders, or at least a, a consultant on the project because he does kind of like uh, from the ground up building biology analyses of, of homes just in terms of the materials, you know, the, the, the wood, the lighting, the insulation, you know, the air filtration, just, you know, soup to nuts, all the things that, that are important. So, uh, so I'm stoked. I'm yeah. Try to it's a good feeling in, in Spokane. Yeah. It's a great feeling yeah. to have. Um, yeah. Chad's, Chad's running that. We've, we've got the food forest in, you know, we're just finishing off. 500 slips of sweet potatoes, yams, different potatoes, but we've got oh, wow. 400 trees in the ground, um, all set up with line irrigation coming from that main pond on a solar pump. We've got 60 different grapevines, tons of blackberry and raspberry and different different um, perennials that are in the ground. And then, like I said, you know, with the, the main calorie, calorically dense foods that we're going to be bringing in are the starches that'll be root vegetables. And then we're building out a root cellar right next to my house that's going to be pretty massive. 
And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to store, I don't know, probably 50 refrigerators worth of food down there here. Around. Oh, wow. Yeah. So That's great. It, we're going to be, cool. be proper set up. Yeah. <laughs> um, are, are you going to do anything regarding the water? Are you guys doing like a well? Or are you bringing it from the ponds? Or I have a dowser coming in um, next week I love to dousers. look at places to, to put the wells. <laughs> it's fun and to I, watch a dowser work. I actually wanted to pick your brain because I think it's your dad's company that does, or your brother. Yeah. Um, that well, has the it's whole my dad, my dad, and my brother now, and that's what we did. At our land, we had a dowser come up, and they walk around with a rod. And you know, a lot of people think it's witchcraft. I think it's more electromagnetic, you know, rotation when you get over the place where the where the water is actually at. And uh, and and it was kind of funny because he came up and he did the dowsing walk. I just followed him around because I was curious, and you know, followed him around, followed him around about ten acres, and he finally gets to his spot, and you know. the rod that he's holding kind of rotates this way and that and i don't know how to read it but apparently it told him like this is the spot he put his foot down he said drill right here you'll be good to go sure enough you know, and i have no clue if we were drilled 10 feet away if we also would have been good to go but regardless he found us a good well and so then of course well water can still have anything from herbicide and pesticide runoff to uh you know bacterial iron to manganese to you know all sorts of stuff that that could wind up accumulating in your system so then you do water analysis of the actual well water and in our case we had high levels of of iron so i got like a really good iron filtration system it's it's like a hydrogen peroxide based iron filtration system that that's special built for iron just so i don't freaking get you know hemochromatosis from drinking water <laughs> at home. And then it passes through the the water filter that my dad makes. And what he does is he imports all his parts from, from Tel Aviv, where they've got a lot, real, lot of really good water filtration technology in Israel because they've had to manage to get a lot of drinkable, potable water in an area where there's really not much water naturally. And so he brings these these filters in. And technically, uh, the I, th I think their main like whole house filter right now is a double carbon block, which is essentially the equivalent of a reverse osmosis in terms of, of what it'll filter out. But then post carbon block, it passes through uh, like a vortices, you know, like a series of, of all these glass beads and minerals that structures the water. And then the only thing that you're missing out on, and, and I think you're probably aware of this, is just the remineralization after all that filtering. It's a good idea to, to put some extra salts back in. Yeah, the thing but, that, that uh, drew me to it was the fact yeah. that it restructures the water after the fact, you know, and that yeah. was something that's not typical. Yeah. We have, like, I think, an aqua sauna filter on our home right now in Austin. And, it, you know, it does the job. I think I got a, a Onalema uh, structuring water stick. He was yeah. on Paul's podcast. Yeah. Phenomenal, but, but yeah, and, I wanted to a lot be of, done. A lot of people you know? still raise an eyebrow at the structuring of the water. Um, what, what I can tell you subjectively is it tastes better. I feel more hydrated when I'm drinking it. I've even been using those, those Vessel or Vivo new urine strips. You know, a lot of companies are coming out with these urine strip technologies that'll tell you everything from ketones to glucose to hydration status to specific gravity to bilirubin, like everything in your urine, which is kind of cool. You pee on a stick and uh, then you, you take a picture of it with your phone and then it, it, it spits out on the app, you know, what things you're, you're high or low. From the photo. Yeah, that's it's, cool it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, it's an interesting technology. I, um, yeah, two two companies I know of that are doing are Vessel and Vivo, V-I-V-O-O -O is I think how it's spelled. And with the with the structuring of the water, I'm able to maintain really, really good hydration status. It tastes better. I feel better when I drink it. 
Um, the idea is that theoretically when there is a greater amount of hydrogen-oxygen bonding as would occur in structured water, very similar to the experiments done by Gerald Pollock up at Washington, there's a, a lowered uh, amount of friction or resistance to water traveling through a vessel because you'll form a positive zone called an exclusion zone on the outside, a negatively charged zone on the inside. And so the positive charge on the outside essentially causes water to crawl through a vessel, almost like electrically, especially when exposed to photons of light, right? And so in an ideal scenario, you drink structured water and then use something like infrared light technology or sunlight to enhance that water's ability to be able to seep into tissue. And uh, the, the only thing is, and I always name this, is that I feel better. It kind of makes sense to me theoretically, but there's not any really great you know, clinical studies on the health effects of structured water like there have been with the health effects of, say, like deuterium depleted water or hydrogenated water. Um, but I, so I, and I don't, I don't really use the, are you familiar with the DDW concept, deuterium depleted water? Yeah, I got, yeah. I got into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Back, a couple yeah. years back in paleo effects. Yeah, it's, it's it's just a heavier isotope that tends to displace some of the metabolic machinery in the mitochondria that dictates that if you drink water that's lower in deuterium, that you're going to be healthier metabolically. And you would find high levels of deuterium in produce that's been sprayed with herbicides and pesticides in a dietary context that, that's higher carbohydrate instead of higher fat. Because when you burn fat, you generate water as a byproduct of that. And the water that you generate is naturally deuterium depleted. Uh, and, and so the idea with the, with the DDWs, you can, you can like buy and drink DDW, or you could just like eat organic produce, avoid herbicides and pesticides and the like, and then uh, and, and, uh, eat a slightly higher fat and lower carb. And so that, considering the, the price of DDW, because you got to like hyper freeze the water and then warm it back up and it goes through this special process, like nobody's got a way to really scale. I think a bottle of it's like, you know, six to eight bucks, which is yeah, it pro seemed <laughs> prohibitively expensive. And then the hydrogen, that's simple. I mean, with the hydrogen, you can just get a hydrogen water generator, like an under the sink or, or hydrogen tablets and add that to the structured water. And so like for me, when I wake up in the morning, it's a giant like 32 ounce mason glass jar with the structured water and I'll put like three or four hydrogen tablets in and then I use the the Quinton minerals, which is a, I think one of the best mineral sources out there. And then a couple of scoops of this stuff, uh, uh, somewhat recent find of mine is called Adrenal Cocktail by Jigsaw Health. And it's just like boatload of minerals and vitamin C. So I just start off the day topping everything up. But but back to your question about the water filtration, yeah, for for a setup like you're talking about, it would be like the the Greenfield Naturals whole house double carbon block system with the with the structured water unit added to it. That's exactly what I have. Cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, but then you would still want to pay attention to anything else that might be in the well water because sometimes you got to have like you know two three filtration setups depending on what you have out there. And do they? Yeah. Does your family participate what kind in all of that kind of stuff? Black buck piss. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> do if if there was like a particular issue, like iron or something like that, would they have uh, the ability to to custom do something like you? Probably not. Okay. No, you'd, you'd probably talk to a local water person who would filter out the iron, and then once that once all their filtration is set up and done, that's when the, at the final stage you would pass okay. it through a system like like my dad's. It's kind of interesting though. Like you go visit his. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm moving to Idaho is to be closer to my parents because you know there's 
you know, get old. And my father will actually be living on the property that I'm going to build on in Idaho because their entire water filter production facility is right there on the corner of that property. And if you go into the, into the, uh, the kind of like the main warehouse where they make all the, all the filters and everything, you go to the very, very back. That's where it gets kind of woo. Cause you know, my dad's an Eastern Orthodox Christian and, uh, you know, his, his, his state's very interesting. He's got like a whole chapel and all these saints all over the place and candles and, he prays like a hundred times a day. Like it's like full on like Eastern Orthodox. And in the room in the back of the warehouse where the water filters are ready for their, their final packaging and shipping, uh, he's got this special bucket with holy water in it. It's like the water from, you know, are you familiar with Lord's France where people will bathe in this water? Yeah, I remember Wayne Dyer talking about that. Miraculous healing experiences. It's actually on my bucket list to go there because I'm, I'm very, very curious about this this water. And so uh, he's he'll put a little bit, like a few drops of this water into the water filter before it ships. The entire room back there where they're packaged is uh it's 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 surrounded on the on the wall with icons of all these saints and it's like this holy room it's kind of similar to uh you've talked to dr nick from essential oil wizardry before, yeah. right? he's told me i haven't been to his production facility but he talks about how yeah you, know, you got to pass a profile of mood state score before you go in and and so there's only <laughs> positive energy around the essential oils and like stripping them out of any exposure to emf and it's kind of like that with the water filters and i you know uh, i i uh, of course, um, as as a man of faith, it's easier for me to believe in this. But I do think there's there's something about the positive energy and the frequencies that are that that the filters are exposed to before they finally you know get out and hit the streets. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. You might you might know if there's any <laughs> science on it. And again, I, it's funny because I, I do like it's it's great if there is because then you can say ah oh, here check out this yeah. reference this reference this reference but if there's not i don't need someone to tell me um you know i don't need a double blind study on ayahuasca's efficacy no it's back right? to scientism yeah. that you were talking about in many cases yeah. that can strip the sacredness out of an experience if you try to prove it because in many cases some of the most sacred and spiritual things that exist at this point in our ability to be able to detect quantum effects are invisible and undetectable. And so, you know, when you look at things like quantum energy or, you know, the observer effect or anything like that, you know, it absolutely changes based on the observer effect. If you do figure out a way to look at it, it might change it anyways. You might not be seeing what you expect to see. So yeah, there, there, are, there are definitely things that do not need to be proven by double-blinded clinical research studies. <laughs> no doubt. Well, let's, 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 let's follow this path. I like the thread uh, that we're heading right now. Um, You've you've been on a kind of a, on a tear, you know, with with books. You've, you've been churning out a bunch. You had one um, I wanted to get you on for prior to the one that you just came out with, correct? Two spiritual titles. Two, Those yeah. are the ones you're referring to. Yes, yeah. so two spiritual yeah. titles, and then the I wrote, one I wrote that was Fit your, Soul. Your, yes, Fit Soul, and then I wrote Endure. So when I was at at Paul's for his 60th birthday last year, I saw the Fit Soul, and I was like, Oh yeah. man, I got to get Ben on for that. Yeah. And then now you've got the uh, Endure. Endure was a sequel to that. And actually, what I'm really excited right now is I'm working on a, on a parenting book, which I can, I can tell you about later on if you want. But Fit Soul, you know, I, I, I had kind of like this. This would have been like 2020-ish. I kind of had a little bit of existential angst about what I, my, my path in life and what I was delivering to my audience. So I had lots of 
biohacking and longevity and anti-aging and you know six-pack abs and whatever things that back to what we were talking about with a god-shaped hole are interesting but ultimately not the true source of fulfillment that we all crave you know good you know even the even the the scriptures say that physical training is of some benefit but it's not it, it's it's not the ultimate goal life and i i went and i talked to to actually a pastor who i really respect about this a, a guy named uh, doug wilson and doug was like well you know if if you're trying to give your audience your podcast listeners and your readers something that's a little bit more fulfilling you know something that that you found to be more fulfilling than just fitness you know for me that's you know in in a three words, basically faith and family. Like those, those are really two things that make me way happier and way more fulfilled than all the you know fitness and longevity stuff. I spent so many years, you know, preaching as, as the pure message. He said, well, why don't you just write your, your, your testimonial, right? Talk about how you went full circle from, you know, being born in a Christian home to just pursuing everything the world has to offer over and over again. And then coming back full circle and realizing, oh, at the end of the day, like all I need is, is God. And the most important thing for me to focus on is not my business or my body, but my family. So I started writing this little testimony. I was going to give away for free on my website. It turned into a book because I I'm kind of shitty at stopping writing once I start. <laughs> That's one thing that that I that I that for some reason I just I love to write and I, and I write a lot of stuff. So I wrote this book and it's essentially it talks about you know um, my own journey and uh, the lack of fulfillment found in physical fleshly carnal pursuits. And how to build up the the fit soul, so to speak, the spiritual armor that's necessary, you know, from from prayer to meditation to devotions to silence to solitude to journaling to all, all of these spiritual disciplines that that help you to build your spiritual fitness in the same way that kettlebells might build physical fitness or uh, you know learning a new instrument might build mental fitness. So I wrote that book and then I, uh, I I had a lot of kind of leftover material and other things I wanted to write about. So then a few months ago, I finished up another book called Endure that as the name implies is more about like spiritual stamina, but specifically it's about all my own temptations and struggles and how I've dealt with like porn and sex and polyamory and food addiction and OCD-like tendencies, just like all this stuff that I've had to deal with myself. And honestly, for me, when I have a problem, one of the ways that I tackle it is I write about it, almost like therapeutically. And so both of these books, Fit Soul and Endure, they're they're kind of like my own therapy. But I figure, you know, if, if if there are certain things that helped me, then maybe they'll help some other people who are struggling with the same things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always, uh, I, I love that. I mean, that's kind of, it's not in writing, but that is effectively what I've made my job to be yeah. in fit for services. Whatever I'm passionate about, whatever I'm drawn to are the things that I'm going to first embody and try on for size as a guinea pig, but then secondarily give back to anybody who's a part of the program because it's, it's, it's one thing to um, run it through the the rational side of the mind and come to terms with it. It's another thing to actually live that experience and walk the walk. Yeah. And there's so much that we can gather from not just our successes, but our failures. You know, if you want to call them that, right. The bumps in the road yep. that really are deliverables to people, you know, and, and, uh, and that brought up for me, um, 
one of the ways in which Paul looks at the art, Paul Check looks at the arc of a life. So you start yeah. with the child archetype, then you go into the warrior archetype, which is usually around adolescence. It's where you push back against your parents, teacher society, potentially. Not all kids do that. And then uh, you step into the king archetype. And again, not everyone does this, or the queen archetype, which is where you become like a master of your trade. You're singularly focused on fluid intelligence, becoming good at what you do, mm-hmm. making money, solving the riddles of the game that we're in. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you realize that's not enough. You know, midlife crises usually happen around then. And if you have acquired enough wisdom through life experience, then that's the thing you give back. It's not yeah. just, you know, share your money with the poor. That's awesome. But it's it's really about becoming the wise elder, which is the final archetype. Yeah. And um, not not everyone's done that. You know, I think a lot of people get sold on... Uh, the material world and, you know, bust their ass doing it, you know, and it's not, there's no blame there. It's just, I, I mean, I feel yeah. it's a shitty feeling to really think like to imagine myself living a life like that and not having something to share, you know, and that he becomes, mm. that person would become an older, not an elder, you know, somebody who's a grumpy old man effectively rather than the wise teacher. Sometimes I wonder if the failure to develop that that mentorship mentality of crystallized intelligence is uh, is um you know that that entire process I think is a little bit aggravated by our modern assumptions and views and activities that surround death, right? Meaning that as you age, you're shoved into hospice or you're hidden away or uh, there's this grasping at straws. You know, I'm, I don't want to sound hypocritical saying this, being a guy who's been in the longevity and the anti-aging sector, but I think you can get to a certain transhumanistic point where you're all of a sudden just trying to live as long as possible because death is shameful and death is something to be feared and death is not a portal to a more blissful experience in eternity afterwards, but is instead just the end of the road. And I think that when you approach death in that manner, that inevitably a little bit of the respect and honor of elders gets sucked out of society because they're just old and becoming useless and no longer contributory reproductive members of society, right? They don't have sperm. They don't, well, maybe they have a little bit of sperm left over. They definitely don't have eggs. And so it's just time to, you know, gently shove them aside and make room for the next younger generation. When in fact, I mean, I I don't know about you, but like, I want to be freaking like sitting at my castle when I'm 80 with, you know, 12 grandchildren gathered around my feet, teaching them and mentoring them and, and also being honored by them. I mean, part, part of my reason, like I said, for moving back to Idaho is because something deep in my soul is gnawing at me to honor my parents and to actually, um, uh, to, to give them a place of, of honor and veneration with age rather than just, oh, they're getting old, well, game over. Right. And so, so I think part of it is, is our, our thoughts around death. And then I think part of it too is legacy. And that this is, you know, like I mentioned, writing this parenting book, it, it, the, the sense of legacy that I witness in these parents that I'm interviewing for this book, because, you know, I don't know if my sons are going to end up in prison. They're 14 years old now. You know, I've, I've certainly- <laughs> Likely not, but they're not, <laughs> we they're don't not, know. <laughs> they're not fully done being raised. You know, that, that cake is not yet cooked and out of the oven. And so I don't profess to be a parent who knows it all. 
But I know a lot of parents who have, who, who have produced remarkable and impactful children. And so I created a list, like 32 different questions, like what kept you awake at night? What do you regret as a parent? What's a message you would put on a billboard for parents? What unique outside the box educational approaches did you use? What'd you do when you disagreed with your spouse about something? How did you overcome the angst that occurs when you wanted to pass wisdom onto your child, but you didn't want to adult them too early? You know, all these different questions that, that I wonder about that I wish I didn't know when I was a parent. I just sent them out to all these people who I know who are really, really good parents with good kids. And uh, so I've got like a thousand pages of replies and transcripts and everything that I'm just weaving through. And there's, there's all sorts of common threads, family dinners, one-on-one scheduled intentional dates for the husband and the wife, typically quarterly or at least a couple times a year, some kind of a family planning retreat. Uh, consequential-based parenting rather than disciplinary-based parenting, right? Educating your child on the natural consequences then as much as possible, letting them deal with those consequences. Uh, you know, a whole whole list of of habits that, that seem to repeatedly pop up. Uh, you know, another one is like some carving out of a space for radical honesty and radical transparency in a non-judgment zone when disagreements arise between a parent and a child or between the spouse. I mean, you can go and have a no-judgment zone conversation with that person, be radically transparent, radically honest with them, and that's just kind of like like an unwritten rule in the home to allow bitterness not to to set in and, and, and kind of like fester within the relationships. Now, Probably one of the most obvious patterns that you see, though, is this idea of rituals and routines and traditions and rites of passages and uh, and, and legacy-based activities that can be passed down to the next generation and that can make the next generation feel proud to have the last name that you have. And I, I think that... One of the things I am most excited about right now and most proud of is like Kyle, if you if you were to, to come up to to our house, you know, it's been years since you've been there, but uh, you know, you pull up the driveway, it's two giant flags flying the Greenfield family logo right outside the door. Massive, like twenty thousand dollar metal sculptured crest above the fireplace. It's our entire family crest and logo. You know, I'm not a guy who's, I'm a cheapskate. I don't spend money on expensive art. So, so this for me was like biting the bullet <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and I'm, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did it. It's just, there's this enormous sense of legacy, everything down to the little symbols carved in each of the rocks that surround this shield crest, uh, are, are, are hidden. And every time a new child or a new grandchild is added to the family, their symbol will get embedded in this stones. So this crest gets passed down generationally. Our mission statement, the Greenfield family mission statement is prominently displayed on the living room wall. Everything we stand for, all of our values, we're content no matter our circumstances. Uh, We love God. Our family mission is to help people find the same love and joy and peace that we've discovered. You know, we, we, we care for other people in the community, just like everything that we value as a family, as like the creed, right? The Greenfield family creed. We got hats, we got hoodies. We got mugs. We got laptop stickers for Christmas. I'm making like wine bottles with the Greenfield family crest on them and chocolate bars, the embossed Greenfield family logo and the little steak branders when I cook steaks that I can brand the the Greenfield family logo on. And 
this all culminates in an actual Greenfield family playbook, right? Here's what we do with the kids when they're eight. Here's what we do when they're, when, when they're 12 and they have their first rite of passage into adolescence. Here's when the rite of passage into adulthood occurs. Here's when they stop getting any money, age 16, from mom and dad. No more money after that point. Here's the point at which no Greenfield children are allowed to be living in the home. Right, and so at age 18, Greenfield men do not live in this. And so this is not just for my sons. This is for my son's sons and my son's son's sons. They'll build on that playbook as we go. But this idea of like systematically and intentionally planning out legacy is important to avoid the all too common rags to riches to rags scenario that you see a lot when, you know, let's say somebody like you, you're successful, you're, 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 you're making money, you got farm and, you know, bear grows up and, and, you know, I don't think you're going to be doing this with him, but you know, you, you give him everything he needs in life, right? And he's set and he's comfortable. And maybe you're like, God, oh, I was going to give him all this money and take care of him. Maybe he'll just not have a worry in the world. He can go up and find the cure for cancer, or be a great artist. And I think I, I kind of get that mentality that parents have, but I think the cons outweigh the pros versus actually having having a, 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 the, this legacy and this this creation of independence that's passed on to future generations and not not just giving them a silver spoon, but, but giving them kind of like a structure to work with to make their own success in life. And so when all this comes together, it's like my kids, they're, they're proud to be a Greenfield. They know what it means to be a Greenfield. That, you know, we, we can go out to dinner and, you know, we're, we're like the cheesiest family on the planet. We're wearing like our Greenfield family logo hoodies and our Greenfield family hats, all four of us, right? And say, you know, Jess's is, is red and Taryn's is green and River's is blue and mine is black, so the different colors. But it's, it's just been so cool. Um, to really tap into and understand what it means to, to brand a family, almost the same way you brand a business. And, uh, and it, it's just so cool to, to see my sons taking pride in being a Greenfield. You know, when they slap that Greenfield family logo hat on, like my heart just swells with pride. And I, and I think that what happens is, is as each generation successfully builds or, or successively builds on that playbook, it's like generationally, each, each, each family that occurs after me will become better, more impactful, able to carry more wealth into the future generation so that that wealth can then be dispersed via the family trust into the different charities and foundations. My sons are launching their first nonprofit this year, meaning that any proceeds that they make, you know, at age 14 from their little cooking video business will start to go towards charity and towards nonprofit. And then, you know, their kids will start a nonprofit when they're probably closer to eight to 10 years old because we're working that into the playbook because we didn't really think about having the kids start a nonprofit until this year. But they, all these things that you can just weave in it's it's i'm just i'm 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 shocked i didn't know a lot of this growing up it kind of makes sense to me because a lot of a lot of people just don't think about this stuff but man and that's one reason i'm talking about on this podcast i'm like i wish more families would do this because i think that that societal stability starts in the household and starts with actually like a nuclear family household and 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 I think that if America had families who were like taking pride in their last name, honoring their elders, honoring their father and mother, back to how we started this conversation, and you know, honoring death and also honoring birth and life and taking pride in your last name, I think that that's part of what we need to make this country great and resilient and not have a bunch of generation Zers walking around ashamed to be an American or ashamed to be a part of the family that they were born into, you know? 
Yeah, that's a big one. Of um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Douglas Murray. He was on Rogan's a few times. Um, I wrote, know who he is. Didn't he, he write he the, the Madness book? of Crowds? Yeah. And yeah. he just Madness recently came out with The War on the West. And I've been I've been chewing on that one. It's actually keeping me awake at night. It's not, <laughs> it's like I usually listen to Audible, you know, after I put the kids down. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's 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 something I should chew on during the day to optimize sleep. But um it it's just a brilliantly articulated, you know, true telling of what's happening in the world and and really mm-hmm. what's at stake, not just in America, but in the West in general, you know, in modern culture. And, you know, many of the things that you're, you're mentioning right now are just, you know, let's keep stirring and stirring and stirring because really there is that. There is an attack on the nuclear family. There is an attack on mother and father. Mm-hmm. There is an attack on, on race. You know, we're, right. <laughs> we're, we're somehow, somehow people got the idea that to end racism, you need more racism. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to say that this is the playbook that's being yeah. used. You know, you know what will get rid of racism? Racism. Yeah, let's start that in school. Um, so no, actually, you know, that, I want to make sure that doesn't go over people's heads. Can you explain what you mean by that? With 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 the attempt to cure racism with racism, what's that mean exactly? Right. So that that's speaking to critical race theory, and and he he dives into this pretty deep in Madness of Crowds, but but much much deeper in uh, War in the West. And in critical race theory, you're basically teaching young children that. Because you're white, you are born racist, mm. you know, and th- this, this flies in the face. And, and really, he alludes so beautifully to the great thinkers and people that we've learned from throughout the years. It flies mm-hmm. in the face of what Martin Luther King Jr. was dreaming. It flies in the face of that. Yeah. You know, it flies in the face of his hopes. It flies in the face of the 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 turn that we've taken. Because Martin culture. Luther King, basically part of, part of his speech, which uh, embarrassingly enough, I don't have memorized. He talks about how he dreams of a future where you aren't judged by the color of your skin. And here we are telling white people that they should be judged by the color of their skin. That's what you're saying? Yeah. And that they're born inherently, almost like an AA person is taught you have a, a genetic default that right. doesn't allow you to drink alcohol. Right. Um, that you, you know, effectively have been born racist, that it is in you. And, you know, it's just implanting guilt and shame. And not only is it not true, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's worse than not true. It's, it's destabilizing. And, uh, and it's happening in all levels of school. It's not happening at every school, but it yeah. is happening in quite a few. You know, yeah. even, even the Waldorf uh, here, in Austin, Texas, has started to employ some of this ideology. And, um, you know, university level is where this stuff was introduced and it's trickled all the way down, but we don't just see it in California and New York. I mean, if it's happening in Texas, obviously Austin's always been a blue city, um, but it has spread. It spread fairly rapidly, this ideology. And, yeah, you know, the, the way that Douglas Murray puts it is just, it, it is, it's a breath of fresh air to understand that it can, you know, because he's pulling in so much more, you know, he's pulling in actual history. He's comparing things and, and uh, comparing what the time was like at the time certain things happened and not giving anything a pass, right? Like we, our country's littered with yeah. a past that's not, um, not the most fair, but yeah. exploring and what the rest of the world was like at that time, exploring. Yeah what people were like, what, what the whole yeah, thing was and, like. And, I mean, and, he really paints such a broader perspective of, of our history 
the history huh. of the West and then dives deeply into today's today's ailments. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I guess I've always been a guy who who has thought that you should take pride in who you are. And sometimes that does include the color of your skin. You should be judged by the color of your skin, but you should take pride in that. And you should even acknowledge the difference, not only between the races, but between the sexes, right? In the same way that that I don't think it should be shameful to say that men don't have a vagina and they can't have babies. Like that should not be a shameful statement. That's kind of like the sky is blue and gravity exists. And then there are other statements that are kind of loosey-goosey and may seem stereotypical, but that I don't think should be offensive to people. Like for me to say something like, you're Indian, you probably have a better chance of being better at mathematics than I am because that's the way your brain is fired up. Or you're black, there's probably a pretty good chance you could dunk a basketball better than I could dunk a basketball because your muscle fiber composition based on your genetic history is higher in fast-twitch muscle fibers that are non-oxidative type 2. Like, and, and there's certain things that, that people are, certain gifts people are given. Like, I'm good at writing, I'm shitty at art. Right. And, and, and that's not something for me to be ashamed of. It's just like, this is the skills I've been given. This is the body I was born with. This is the genetics I was born with. I, you know, God made an elephant different than a platypus, different from a giraffe. God made a Native American different than an African, different than a Caucasian. I just don't understand why we have to well, why there, we have to feel like that's shameful. Where there's a drive know? towards homogenization. Yeah, you know, and, and that's really what I, I got Douglas coming on here, uh, hopefully next month. But it's um this drive towards homogenization is not a celebration of our differences. It it is you know in terms like equity get thrown around a lot. You know, yeah. it's, it's about leveling the playing field in a way. You know, Jordan Peterson's been talking about this for a very long time. You know, it's not new, right? This has been this this trickle down effect from university downwards been happening for some time now. Um, and really, you know, as with anything, even with COVID, right? Like we should be able to talk about this. We should be able to have a conversation right. about this and and really just iron out all details, all possibilities. Um, but a big a big piece of the weaponry that's being harnessed is no you can't say that you can't even talk about it you can't mention there's a difference they don't exist the only difference that exists is that you were born racist right and that's right. really what CRT is all about and white fragility and all of these books that have come out in the last few years that um you know they're 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 not leaving much wiggle room yeah. for conscious conversations around these things. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of a, of a, of a rift that's developing. And you know, what I take hope in is the fact that we, we do have voices now that are easier to amplify than voices that we had in the past, you know, before you'd need like a whole studio and millions of dollars worth of cameras and an audience and contracts and, you know, and, and a television network to be able to disseminate information that that either educates or inspires people. And now you and I sitting here right now with what do we have? Like maybe 300 bucks worth of equipment and we can reach the same number of people, you know, in a very nimble and independent fashion. And so, you know, I think everything from, you know, you talking on your public platform about the farm and about sustainable egg and about, you know, uh, you know, alternative forms of education to me talking about legacy and tapping into the importance of your, of your spiritual fitness and, uh, and, 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 you know, and more thoughts on freedom. I just think that we, uh, 
we're, we're in a pretty good situation in terms of the ability to at least still be able to speak freely. And I feel like there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah, it certainly helps with uh, with the Twitter requirement. <laughs> that you Elon know? Musk thing was pretty good. I have to. Admit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not upset uh, about that. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I had for you, you know, being where you're at now, and of course, you know, it was years ago that I was at your house and really got to spend time with you and your family, and I, I've always cherished that. You welcomed me in, you know, to really get to know you and yeah. your family, and that's a uh, welcome a back experience. anytime, even though it got about a year before that. that, homeless, that homeless <laughs> oh, maybe we'll make it out for the new <laughs> yeah, one. Make it out to the Idaho um, one. I want, I want our little girl Wolf to appreciate it. You know, I want yeah. her to remember and to, and to know that yeah. experience too. But um, you know, it's really, it, I've seen your trajectory, and I and I know you know where your heart stands with God. And you've written these two books in light of everything that's going on, you know, with the conversation we just started here and with, um, you know, the, the, the things that we see in the world. How much of the book of Revelation has come up for you? Is it something that you're just yeah. like, yeah, maybe not yet? Or is it something where you're, you're, you're really drawing on that? Yeah. I'm glad you call it the book of Revelation. I know a lot of Christians who call it the book of Revelations. It's actually singular. It's Revelation. So... You did your homework. Good job. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm a post-millennialist. I don't necessarily believe that the alternative view is incorrect. I just have yet to be convinced that it is. Post-millennialism. Yeah. What this means is that that whole story of Revelation, the trial, the tribulation, the persecution, the foretelling of, of, uh, of destruction, and death, the fall of the city of Jerusalem, uh, you know, the, the, the coming of the Antichrist. I believe that all of that was a, was a prophetic prediction of, the, of the, the fall of Jerusalem, the rise of the Roman Empire, the early day persecution of Christians, and that by around 70 AD, most of what is written in the book of Revelation already happened. And that as we're told in the Bible, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will continue to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea until the peace and love and joy and ultimate core message of Jesus Christ has been able to penetrate into the depths of the Amazon and the far reaches of Africa and the fringe sections of the Orient and all across you know, the Americas and Europe and beyond. I believe that we are in a stage right now where that's happening. With some speed bumps and with you know with 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 some curveballs, but ultimately, if you were to graph it, it's like life and the world is getting a little bit better and a little bit better every year until eventually it culminates in the new heaven and the new earth being essentially a, a, a becoming a, a a replacement for the 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 sin and the turmoil and the struggle that we face right now on this old earth and i, I think that we will i do think we'll get to a point where you know if, if jesus was a deity and the reason that 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 jesus was sent by god to earth to become a human being and to die as a deity and to conquer death and sin and also give us the opportunity to believe in that and to essentially like lay all of our burdens at the foot of the cross. The reason that all that happened, you know, even the Bible says this was because 
God so loved the world that he, that he gave his son to be able to save all of the, the turmoil that was caused by you know, essentially Satan and Adam and Eve at the very dawn of time. And so we now have, have this extension of life that's been given to us and that message is now penetrating all throughout the universe and things are gonna get better and better and better. And then eventually Jesus, as he promised, will come back and the entire earth, I don't think it's gonna get nuked. I think it's gonna get just almost like, um, gosh, like in Chronicles of Narnia in the seventh book, when they arrive in Narnia and all of a sudden Narnia is perfect. I think it'll be like that. It'll, it'll be like the earth that God made and called good. He doesn't want to nuke. It's perfect. And that means that everything from, you know, your dog to your state to your trees in your backyard to, you know, possibly, I don't know, it could be like a garden city type of scenario. That word is bandied about. That phrase is bandied about a few places in the Bible. I mean, it could be a massive technological garden city that's perfect with no sin and no pollution and everything's perfect and we live forever and life is amazing in the way that it was originally intended to be. I don't think we go to hell in a handbasket before that happens. I think things just get better and better and better and better. And also, having that type of view, which again is called post-millennialism, also means that that you never really get to the point where you just throw up your hands in despair and say, oh, things are getting, what's what's the purpose? I'm just gonna go hold myself up and, you know, survive until I die. And, you know, the you know, world's going to hell in a handbasket anyways. Instead, it's like, no, the world's getting better and better. And I have every chance every day I wake up to contribute to that happening in 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 my own case and by my own beliefs by just spreading the message of the of the love of Jesus Christ and how to how how to attempt every day you know, by the grace of God to, to attain that same mentality that, that, that Jesus lived with and demonstrated. And so, you know, essentially, you know, that, that means that, that my purpose in life is to basically love God, love other people and share the good news far and wide until I die. I love that. Yeah. When I was a kid, I'd see like WWJD and I kind of laughed about it because I didn't have a, uh, uh-huh. real understanding of the Christ, you know, what I right. was like, oh, no, what would Jesus do? And I would ask that myself, things like that. But what in, you know, in my growth and understanding spiritually, it's truly, it's the embodiment, right? It's this embodiment yeah. piece. And how do I embody the divine? Right. And that, that is something that, that I ask myself often, you know, right. how do I actually embody that? And another, another great um, quote that gets tossed around is what would love do now? Yeah. That's, that's really just right. a powerful, you know, regardless of faith or religion, whatever, regardless of background, what would love do right, right. now? And that's that's been a really good guidepost for me. I've I've rabbit holed so much stuff that's that's you know <laughs> it could be com- flat out conspiracy, um, super dark uh, to you know kind of run of the mill. Hey, we don't know what's going to happen down here. To mainstream stuff that just really doesn't seem like like we're heading there. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know it's been confusing to say the least. And I certainly have my takes on stuff. Um, one of the things that's helped me is, is if I, if I can set the table to where I cover these bases for my kids, from a food standpoint, from a security standpoint, then I can go back into the delivery of yep. love, the delivery of, you know, seeking and finding and, and harmonizing what I can in the world. Yeah. And I think that's, that's been a big you know piece for me that, that prior to, kind of having those ducks in a row, having a little extra in the pantry, things like that, that, that were, were just always something running like a background app, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. It, you know, and, and I think that that the best place that you can put your energy, like I was alluding to earlier, is your family, your children, right? equipping your children, loving your children, uh, caring for your wife, and thinking in a very in a very legacy and generational manner. And then you've still got some energy left over to love the rest of the world. But I I think I made the mistake of thinking it was going to be sexy and big and impactful to build my platform in a manner that allowed me to, to shepherd a whole bunch of people and to love the entire world and get my message out there when I should have been, especially early on, putting more of that energy into like reading the book of virtues to my sons at night and starting our family meditation even earlier on in their lives and, you know, prioritizing the the spiritual intertwining between my wife and I even more. And, you know, and now that I've built that all up and, and the family foundation is there, I feel as though I've got momentum. I feel as though I've got like this endless gas tank and power boosters attached to me to be able to go out and slay the dragons, do my job. It's like you, you build the castle, you set everything up at home, you make that just perfect, you know, honest and transparent relationships and a home full of love and the, and the legacy-based activities I was talking about earlier. And then at that point, you know, once you've set all that up, then you go out and you start slaying dragons. I think a lot of, a lot of guys especially do it in reverse order. They're like, I'm going to make the money, make my platform, build the world and touch the world. And, you know, and then I'll come back and make sure that the family's okay. And it's actually the opposite. I think if everybody did that, then, then, then we, we'd see a lot more stability just societally. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of people that are big in the finance game. You know, think of their legacy as what, what how much money they leave in their kids' trust. Yeah, not in, not in how they raise their kids, how much time they spent with their kids, and and what that gift is. You know, yeah. as you're going through this, it reminds me of our friend Anahata out in uh, Sedona. I just saw her. We we well, we went to the Grand Canyon, but we also went to Sedona. Awesome. We had a we had a barbecue party at, at Anahata's. She's house, so great, Anahata stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and she talks a lot about the the archetype of Archangel Michael, you know, often depicted with the left hand, the chalice raised in the right hand with the sword, you know, and the sword is down and the chalice is raised, but that uh-huh. is to, to connect to the divine, to fill that cup first. And then from there you can wield the sword of truth yeah. and discernment. And, you know, whether it's slaying the dragon or any of those things, the activities built in the home are the thing that fills you. you know, right. That's the thing that fills me. That's what makes life worth it. And then, as my cup's spilling over, that's the deliverable I'm taking to people that you're taking to people. And yeah. I think that's, that is really the order of operations. Fill your cup first yeah, with love, with family, with purpose, and then bring that out. Yeah. And, and there, there's a little bit of, um, I, I think that, that a lot of folks should be aware of this. A lot of, a lot of parents that, that hear this and that, that resonate with the concept of legacy. Um, there's a temptation and because I've had this temptation to think, well, I didn't do it quite right. My time is over, but at least I got these kids, and I can I can basically help them to become the person that I wanted to be. I think that you risk that cop out when you start to place a lot of energy into building your family. I think that you still have to acknowledge back to this idea of crystallized intelligence that you yourself are still a great mentor. You're still a great teacher. I mean, freaking 40 years old. You, I mean, it's going to be the best, most exciting 40 years of your life. Like, I want to write at least 20 books by the time I'm 80. Right? I want to continue to contribute. I want to continue to be impactful and not basically 
give myself that that excuse that well I brought these these children into the world and I've learned a lot of mistakes and and so I really don't need to go out there and put my neck on the line and work hard. I'm just going to put all my energy into the family. I'm not saying that. Like, I think that you can build a family. And again, like I said, that is the rocket fuel that then allows you to be your most impactful self. Because I mean, really, like I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that life kind of like begins when you're 40. As far as as far as impact is concerned. Like, I, I just feel like it takes that long at least to build the wisdom and the body of knowledge and, and to make all the stupid mistakes and to then finally be able to come out to the world with more than just the Maslow's hierarchies type of stuff, you know, because, you know, as I started a supplements company, I got the bars and the coffee and, and wrote books about biohacking and fitness and all that super helpful to people, but not as helpful as the stuff that I want to do in between now and 80 Excellent work on the Keon Essential Aminos, by the way. They're the best tasting in the game. Yeah, have you tried the new <laughs> mango and the watermelon I flavors? Not, I've not tried that. Oh, my god! I, I rock the berry multiple times a day. Dude, they're just like a, they're freaking Swiss Army now. I mean, because like everything from like uh, post-workout, fasting, pre-sleep, po- post-plant medicine. I mean, it's one of the best things for rebuilding your HTP levels. I mean, like it, it, it's crazy. I literally feel guilty about how many scoops of that stuff I go through <laughs> I'm playing every through day. It. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I basically, I, I live when I travel on like Keon Aminos and keto bricks. Oh yeah. yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't <laughs> dig the keto bricks, but I don't want to dive too far it into that. It grew on me. The chocolate peanut butter flavor is Damn pretty salty. good. Um, <laughs> I wasn't picking up, you know, trophy kids. From from the talk of legacy, you know, for, for yeah. people who haven't seen Trophy Kids, it's an excellent documentary that Mark and Chris Bell did, um, which is a sad fact of modern society. People, you know, it's 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 to to put it in the way that you did, where like, hey, maybe you tried and you didn't quite get there, and then you saw Tiger Woods' dad did it a certain way, so you're going to invest everything into that. That's 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 driving your kids in the direction you want them to go, as opposed to giving them the tools and, and connecting with them. And, and I've, you know, obviously experienced that at your home, but everything that you're talking about with that legacy is a completely different scenario than saying you're going to be the best at X, Y, and Z, because that's what I want you to do. You know, yeah. it's, it's let's, let's get together and let's understand these things that, that really are going to be the guideposts for you in life when things get rough, you know, yeah. and, and, and the things that you can lean on, you know, I don't care if my, I prefer if my son never fought professionally or my daughter, but right. they're both in martial arts because that strengthens them from the inside out. It's such a good point because this is something I've, I've thought about a lot. Like we prioritize family dinners and like that morning and evening meditation and some kind of like weird woo stuff that we do as a family, or at least it might be considered to be outside the box and unordinary. And an inevitable consequence of that is that my sons aren't doing as many team sports as some of their friends. They're not at basketball practice at night. They're at home playing freaking, you know, Uno at the dinner table with dad and mom. Um, yeah, they've been playing tennis since they were two. They've been rolling since they were four. Like, and, and, you know, they, they have certain activities that they do, but I can almost guarantee you that they're not going to be the star quarterback. They're probably not going to be professional athletes. We've, we've placed our energy elsewhere and, kind of swam upstream against the great American dream of your child, you know, being the standout athlete, getting the college scholarship. Like I would much rather my kids be like 
toga and sandal wearing prophets just walking across the land, spreading a message of hope and love and peace and joy than throwing a leather, you know, leather sphere around a gridiron. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that that's for everybody, right? But that's, that's the path that I've, that I've chosen to not push my children into, but I've at least, I've set up the scenario for them to prioritize love and relationships and spreading a good message of God's love around the world than being engaged in what might be considered to be more carnal and fleshly pursuits. I think that you can be, um, you can be in a certain sense, like, like almost the way I describe myself, like a, a Christian hedonist who enjoys all aspects of God's creation, who loves sports, who, 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 you know, loves, you know, playing tennis in the backyard and soaking up the sunshine and, and making an amazing meal and enjoying it with the family and mind blowing sex and climbing big mountains and, you know, hunting with the bow and, and all these things that, that are of this world. But, at the same time, I think that you can uh, you, you you can almost look at something like a Renaissance man or woman or a pro athlete and think that that's the bee's knees, like like that's the ultimate goal, when it's really not, and that can reflect itself in the way that you raise your children. Meaning that, yeah, they they are going to be a little bit weird if you've decided that you know that that impact on the planet for the sake of love is going to be greater than like the, the professional scholarship for sports or something like that. And it's, and it's always been something I've thought about. I'm like, gosh, my kid's going to ask me like when they're 18, like dad, how come, how come you didn't put us in basketball like every fall? Cause you know, like that's what our, our friends all play or, you know, like dad, I don't like, I'm not very good at soccer. What, why didn't I play that growing up? And, you know, so, so I sometimes wonder, like, it's still an angst for me at the back of my mind. It's like, Oh, did I spend too much time with us? Like, you know, journaling and meditating and hiking together and being a family and not enough time just throwing them out into the, you know, AAU or whatever, you know? <laughs> well, I've, one of the, my favorite parenting books is a book by Gabra Mate and his son. And I think another, uh, I don't know if he's a therapist or a PhD, but um, in Hold On To Your Kids, they talk about that, the family bond as the proper attachment strategy mm -hmm. to have. And when it's not there, that's when kids seek it out in gangs or in coaches or in other father figures or in, in the more the merrier in terms of positive male role models. But the true bond, if it's in the home, it maps out way better in every aspect of life than yeah. if that bond is lost at the home and it's made elsewhere. Yeah, And that is what leads to addiction and a whole host of other things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Gaber is famous for saying that at the, the root of all addiction is trauma. Yeah. One of the main pieces of trauma is, did we have a healthy attachment yeah. in our upbringing, right? Was that healthy? And I think the delivery of that is one of the most critical pieces in parenting, however it gets delivered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he also says that the, the, the trauma is ultimately a disconnection from your true self. And I went through that, like, you know, I'd, especially being homeschooled and wanting to prove to the world that, you know, I was normal and I was cool. I spent a lot of time, you know, doing bodybuilding and Ironman triathlons and Spartan races, you know, all, all these things to prove to the world that I was cool, that I was tough, that I was resilient, that I was a man. Some of that was not going through rite of passage. Some of it was wanting to prove to the world that I was somebody who I really wasn't at my at my core, you know. And it, it's it's interesting how um, how easy it is to fall into that trap. 
how easy it is to, to, to be the person who you think the world expects you to be rather than your true authentic self. But I think you're familiar with the article by the palliative care practitioner, Bonnie Ware, The Five Regrets of the Dying. I wish yeah. I'd spent more time with, with old friends. I wish I'd worked less. I wish I'd showed my true emotions more. Uh, I think the fourth is I wish I'd chosen to be happy. And then the last one is I wish I'd been my true authentic self rather than who the world expects me to be. You know, and, and when you, it's so simple. Like when you hear what people say on their deathbed, it, it's like, well, it, like it's right there. It's right in your face. Like this is, this is how to live. Like choose to be happy. Show your true emotions. Stay in touch with your old friends. Play more and work less or at least have more of a lighthearted approach to work and be your true authentic self. Do you, I mean, that is, that is like solid gold. Do you have any regrets about the path you chose to, 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 to go there? Because they're, you know, they're, to me, um, to me, those experiences that I've had, you know, from football was such, I was so attached to that as an identity stand from an identity standpoint that when it ended after ASU, I mean, that was, that I took a massive hit and, um, thankfully I was able to find fighting to continue that chase and dream and outlet. Um, and fighting led me to my boxing coach who got me into plant medicines and native American sweat lodges. And really a lot of the old, uh, indigenous teachings that started to change the way that I operated and felt in the world in many ways connected me to my true self. Surely along the road, you've had yeah. different avenues that, that maybe were not in the right direction overall, but were the thing that led you to who you are right now. Look, God draws straight with crooked lines. <laughs> right. The, you, you never know the path. I have a mantra, me and my wife together, mantras, no regrets, only gratefulness. Anything that happens, we're grateful for. Yeah, if we, if we sin, literally meaning, you know, missing the mark, then that's something to be sorrowful about, to maybe repent about, to, you know, to, to change path about. But when it comes to the, to the big picture, the forest for the trees, the actual path that's gotten me to where I am now, you know, the 20 years of, you know, fitness and biohacking and, you know, and, and now I've got this enormous platform of people who listen to me. Well, I mean, it's, it's the perfect place to be because I have all these lessons that I've learned. And, you know, when I'm at the, gym or at some biohacking conference. I'm about to go over to London to, to do this, you know, biohacking. So it's like people are searching, people are searching. And I think that I'm probably more equipped based on my history to help those people who are searching than say like the person who's just had this pristine, comfortable, you know, perfect existence, fully connected to God their entire life. Like I envy that person. That's, that's wonderful. It's wonderful if you don't have to make all the mistakes and mess up. But I think that sometimes, you know, making all the mistakes and messing up, I mean, gosh, look, look at, at the apostle Paul in the Bible who was responsible for essentially spreading the message of Jesus's love and hope and peace and this message of salvation to, you know, to, to the Mediterranean and beyond. I mean, with his message, even penetrating into the Orient and into Africa and up into Europe. And the dude was a freaking like terrorist. Like he was literally just going around killing Christians, like stoning them, just like burying them in the ground, you know, throwing rocks at their heads. And, and that's, that was his life. Was he like, yeah, I'm a Christian killer. That's what I do. 
And I mean, look what happened to him. He he was transformed. He got struck by light, had this, this, this uh, experience on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden became one of the, one of, one of the people who blessed this planet more than anybody else who's ever existed. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes God puts you through some pretty shitty stuff to equip you to be able to be that person who can really help people in a big way. So absolutely. no, no regrets. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, where can people find you? You got your podcast, you got your website. That's always like one of my most useful places to search if I need to get some questions answered. <laughs> I know, it's funny. I've been writing for so long. It's like, I think I've tackled every topic under the sun on there. But that's just that. Uh, I've recently rebranded a bengreenfieldlife.com instead of bengreenfieldfitness.com just to allow me to not be painted in the fitness corner. So yeah, it's bengreenfieldlife.com. And uh, uh, why don't you share your... URL as well, just so that. Well, I've sent people to fitforservice.com. Yeah, fitforservice.com. I still got to make it down to one of those events, by the way. You'll love it, brother. Yeah, because I like, I've seen little bits here and there, but I've never actually been down. So, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the breastwork practitioners that we've been using in the past few has been this uh, couple from New Zealand, Lucas and Hella, and they will blow your mind. Like, it is. They're they're absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm in. I would totally come and do something like that. Beautiful, yeah. brother. Yeah. It's been awesome getting uh, to reconnect cool. with you. You too, Kyle.